Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about First Baptist Church of Silva, please visit firstbaptistsilva.com. Not necessarily a good word for Zebedee. I mean, really, I ask you, um, as you've been hearing the story, did you feel a little bit sorry for the dad? I mean, he's kind of left standing there, left there with the hired men and the boat and the nets and all that. And I've just been wondering this week, if, if Zebedee, if you, were, if you were to hear the gospel according to Zebedee, what would be his take on it? His point of view being the one who was left. And I've been thinking about what he would say, and I think he would say something like this. I think he would say, I saw them coming, coming along the beach. Two of them I knew, Simon, Andrew, I knew them. We'd been fishing together, they're fishermen too. The other one I knew of, in fact, I'd heard him speak in synagogue, didn't talk for very long, and I heard it, didn't understand all of it, did get the sense that he felt there was some kind of connection between the coming of the kingdom and his coming there too. Anyway, he's coming along the beach, he's coming down to us, and I'm thinking there, oh no, he is not going to give us a sermon while we're working, is he? And he doesn't, thank goodness, he just comes and sits and makes small talk and then he's just real quiet for a while. And then I notice he's looking at my boys like he's sizing them up for something. And I'm about to say, what are you looking at? When he says, follow me. And they leave. They just get up, drop the nets, leave the hired men and leave me. And I look up at him and I say, where do you think you're going? And they look back at me and say, we don't know. After him. And off they go. And there we are. And I'm thinking, they're just joking. I'm thinking, they'll be back. They didn't come back. So I'm there with the hired men, and we finish what we're doing. We tie up the boat, and uh, I go on back home. And as I'm going back home, I'm thinking, who was that man? I mean, what kind of man has that kind of power to just say a word to two young men and get them to drop everything and go after who knows where they're going? I'm wondering this all the way back to the house. Come to the house knock on the door, come in and see my wife, and I say, Salome, guess what fool thing your boys have done now? And she says, I know what they did, and I'm going too. I says, what do you mean you're going too? And she says, that man, he knows things. He's close to God. There is something about, there's a goodness in him that I want to be close to, so maybe it'll rub off on me. So I'm going with them. I say, what do you mean you're going with them? Where are you going? She says, I don't know, but I know that they need help. And so, you know, I've been, our fishing business has been good, and 
I've been saving up a little bit of money and I've got a pretty good nest egg and I'm going to go help them out because they need help. They need, they need support. They need logistics. And I say, wait a minute. What do you mean you've got money saved up? And she says, oh, honey, I don't tell you everything. <laughs> but they do need help. And it's not only me, but there's some other ladies in town too. And they've got some savings too. And we're all going to go in together and we're going to supply the support so they can go from village to village and, and do this mission they're called to do. But where are you going, I say. And she says, I don't know. I mean, wherever, wherever he's going. So now, they're all gone. James, John, Salome. So what do I do? Go fishing. And all the time I go fishing, I keep wondering, who is this man? Now, I hear he's a miracle worker, and frankly, I believe it because he says one word to my boys, and they take off, and if you know my boys, you know that is a miracle. Salome writes me, and she says, you'd be so proud of those boys. And she says, you wouldn't believe the kinds of things this man is doing. She also tells me, send money. So I go fishing some more, and I make the money, and I send the money. And I reckon you could say I'm fishing for fish so they can go on and keep on fishing for men and women. I miss them. I mean, I've got the hired men with me, and the business is good, and we're doing okay, and the fishing's good. But I worry about them especially from Salome's last word that they decided to go to Jerusalem, killer of the prophets. She says that Jesus has set his face like a flint for that place, and the closer he gets, the more somber he gets, and he's even talking about dying there. So I worry about him. Now, James and John, I know those boys, if they get into a tight spot, they know when to run. No problem with them, but Salome, she's made of something else. She's not going to run. She tells you she's going to stick with you. She'll stick with you. So I don't know what's going to happen when they get up to that place. In my sleep, I keep having this dream. I dream I'm on the boat. I'm working the nets, and I look down the beach, and here he comes again. This time only he's coming to me, and he stops, and he sizes me up like he's measuring me for something. And then he speaks to me, those two words. And that is when I wake up in a cold sweat. Well, that's one way to imagine the story from the point of view of Zebedee, the one who was left. And I'm not totally making this up. If you go to the Gospel of Matthew, to the crucifixion, to the point when all the disciples have left and there's only the women left there, they list the women there in Matthew and one of the women, lo and behold, is the mother of the sons of Zebedee. She was there. Now, if you come back to Mark from which this passage is from, 
and look again to the crucifixion scene and once again the disciples have gone and it's only the women who are left and they're standing there and it lists those women. It doesn't name the mother of the sons of Zebedee. It does name, without explanation, a woman named Salome. And it makes me wonder, you know, could that be one and the same? I don't know, but it's, uh, it's fun to imagine. And it really gets the imagination going when you look at this from the point of view of the dad of Zebedee, father of James and John, husband of the woman who supported Jesus all the way to the cross. Zebedee was the one who was left while his family followed. But I wonder if maybe not that Jesus considered Zebedee one of his people after all. I don't know, at least that's how I imagine it. Now, we could move now from this one who was left to the ones who did the leaving, you know, James and John and their mama. And we could look at it from the point of view of what was it like for them to leave everything that was familiar and to go to who knows where with this one. We could, we could look at that, but then I think you know that story. You know the rest of that story. So let me offer to you another story about two other people who did their own leaving. And this story, some of you will recognize these two people. Uh, ben was the son of two Methodist ministers. He spent part of his youth in North Carolina and part of it in Mississippi. He grew up, went to college, went to Old Miss, majored in history, and met a girl named Erin. Erin was the daughter of a physician who would not have, who would have loved it if she had gone into the family business, but she went into graphic design, that great income producer, graphic design. Ben and Aaron meet in college, they fall in love, they graduate, they join the work world. Erin uh, is a graphic designer and she's working nine to five in this cubicle, in this office, nine to five in this cubicle. And she hates it. Oh, she's miserable there. Now she does have a side hustle, which is she makes wedding booklets and sells wedding booklets. Uh, she likes that, but in the cubicle she's miserable. One friend tells her, why don't you go full time into this wedding booklet, into your own design stuff, which just scares the mess out of her. But she gets this devotional thought from a person who actually is around the world in the Philippines. This devotional thought says, whatever God's finger points to, points toward, God's hand is clearing the way for. And that touched her to her core. And lo and behold, she left her boat of her cubicle and she went into this side business full time, which expanded to more than wedding booklets and she started doing very, very well. Meanwhile, Ben is a youth minister. But Ben is really struggling 
he's kind of having a, not a midlife crisis, a sort of a, a 30-year-old crisis of not being sure what he wants to be when he grows up. And he sometimes thinks about not being a youth minister anymore, and that scares him to death because ministry and church is all he knows, being the son of two Methodist ministers. And he thinks, golly, if I, if I left my position, I would feel like I was turning my, my back on God. But then another friend to Ben says, well, Ben, Aaron's business is going along pretty well. And you make furniture, don't you? I forgot to say that Ben had been making furniture for Aaron for their house. He said, uh, you know, you're making you could make some furniture for her in her business, help her along. Why don't you do that? And he did. And when he left that boat of his traditional church ministry and started doing this other, some amazing things started to happen none of which either of them had ever planned. They settled in a crumbling town, the hometown of Aaron, um, Laurel, Mississippi, and they started renovating homes one by one. They started renovating homes. And, you know, this is the work of design and construction and all that, but really for them, what really jazzed them up and got them going was they had the sense that they were helping to rebuild a community. And they took it really seriously to the point that they listened very carefully to the stories of the family that was about to move into the home. And they also listened very carefully. They did some research and learned the story of the family that had lived there for decades before. Erin put it this way. She said, it's the way God designed us. We have two ears, one mouth. We listen twice as much as we talk. And they put together something that just... Well, it's hard to describe, but each home was another way of building community and in their intentional listening to people in the community, they earned the right to be heard, even the privilege to be able to every now and then to tell, this is what's got me into this. This is how I think God has been leading me to do this. They were able to tell the Jesus story in the midst of their ministry. And they realized that God had called them into a ministry that was far, far greater than any kind of ministry they had ever imagined before. Now, the rest of the story, and the way some of you are nodding your heads, I think you know the rest of the story, is that word about them spread. A production company came and now the TV show Hometown is the most watched show on HGTV. And our television in our home is on HGTV a whole lot. But TV shows come and go. And what will last is what Ben and Aaron have helped to create, a sense of a new reborn sense of community in that little town. And what they've also learned and what they've learned is this, that when you hear a faint whisper, the faintest of whispers calling you to leave your boat, whatever it is, and follow to who knows where, it very well could be the voice of one who once came walking along the shore of Galilee and said to some people, follow me. Amen. Amen.